you are tuned in to a fireside chat with Zany Mystic. Join us now on another exciting metaphysical journey. Relax, tune in, drop out, and take a seat by the fire as we explore new realms and possibilities. This is Magenta Pixie. You can find me at magentapixie.weebly.com. But now, here is Zany Mystic and guest. Enjoy the show. Greetings and welcome to a fireside chat with the Zany Mystic. I'm your host, Lance White. Tonight, my guest is Raymond Andrew Keller II, also known as Cosmic Ray, who is returning to discuss his second book in the trilogy, the award-winning trilogy, of the Venus Rising series. He, is in a, uh, he has garnered international acclaim for the trilogy and has been actively involved in extraterrestrial research since 1967, living and working in 44 different countries, writing about UFOs and paranormal activity. Ray also established the Outer Space International Research and Investigation Society, which is uh, short for OSIRIS, in 1986, and has conducted numerous excursions to UFO hotspots throughout the world, communicating directly with extraterrestrials on many occasions. You can find out more on Ray's website at www.venusconcisehistory.com. So let's welcome Ray back to the show now. Hi, Ray. How are you? Oh, fine, Lance. Uh, thank you. It's good to be back on the program. Oh, yes, Absolutely. Good to talk to you again. Now, where your first book was more concerned with the uh, establishing the uh, elements of Venusian life and uh, the way the Venusians were living and communicating, the second book is actually more about the uh, various personalities that were around about the time when Venus was uh, being... uh, discovered or to be being uh, talked about and investigated and so this is a an interesting book to find out more about certain people um, <clears throat> you have uh, all kinds of interesting stories in there and uh, about uh, the rocket man and, and elton john wrote a song about that um, and one of my favorite books which you mentioned was a wrinkle in time um, and then Hitler launched in 1945 a 46-year ordeal, and the person lived. That one might be interesting to talk about. Oh, oh yes, and that one continues in even into uh, um, into book three. And it's it uh, it turns out that uh, when I was speaking with Omnek Onek, uh, that uh, she had pointed out that uh, there's a section in her book about her village. On ah. Venus being established by a German astronaut, so this is really uh, wow. This, yeah, this is a literal fo- fulfillment of that. Wow. Well, that's definitely a, a must. And then, of course, Miyuki Hatago Hatagoyana, who's the wife of the Prime Minister of Japan, then went to Venus and claims that she had a, a nice trip there with. Uh, you know, being told all kinds of things. And, of course, I think we've all heard of George Adamski, who is well-known for a number of different uh, events. And then Carl Sagan comes up in the book, too. Um, 
the Tungusta event, the healer from Planet X, the real X-Files and Pyramids of Venus, and of course you have Maria Orsic and the uh, the psychic Maria Orsic from uh, Germany, who was part of the real association. <laughs> <laughs> so, where shall we dig in first? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we could start in uh, we could start in the beginning, uh, as you mentioned, um, uh, Miyuki, um, the uh, wife of the uh, Japanese um, prime minister. That's a good start because uh, yeah. uh, there was a, a lot of questions in Japan about the funding of the space program there, uh, JAXA, the acronym for the Japanese. Uh, Space Exploration Program, ah. and uh, she she published a magazine um, on metaphysical subjects and wow. UFOs and so forth, and uh, got the public's and did a t regular TV program over there, and got the public behind uh, the space program. And the first probe that they sent to another planet was the Akatsuki, which went to Venus. Huh. Oh, that is so cool. You know, why can't the... I mean, it just seems like it would be so much more fun if the president's wife was <laughs> organizing us all kinds of, you know, fun things uh, about uh, Mars and the moon and all that. But, of course, there's too much that they know about those places, and they don't want that to come out. So, But I think that uh, Miyuki must have been quite a fascinating person. Is she still alive today? Oh, yes, she is. Uh, she is and still publishes that Moo. Oh, magazine, wow. Uh, named um, after the lost co um, continent. Huh. Uh, the, the mega continent before it broke up into uh, a series of islands uh, that formed the um, Empire of Lemuria that uh, wow. all of Churchill's books are about. Oh, interesting. So, uh, when did she... Uh, uh, what were the details surrounding her uh, actually making the trip to uh, Venus? And was she doing all of this stuff before then, or did that occur after her trip? Um, this occurred. At, this occurred uh, afterwards. Uh -huh. um, in uh, she wrote a book about it called "Most Bizarre Things I've Encountered," Ooh. and in that uh, in that book she maintained that. Uh, while my body was asleep, I think my soul rode on a triangular-shaped UFO and went to Venus. It well, was a very beautiful place, and it was very, wow. uh, uh, very green. Um, she said, um, "I can understand to a to a degree the existence of UFOs, but being told this is what." Uh, uh, the Prime Minister said, but being told by your wife, I've gone and returned from Venus, still bewilders me. Wow. But uh, but he's still devoted to her, and um, although he, he, he's skeptical, uh -huh. uh, you know, he, he at least concedes that uh, perhaps it took place on some uh, medic metaphysical level, but yeah. she's, she believes that uh, she did indeed... Um, did indeed travel there. Wow. Well, of course, that seems to me that it's very possible because we have different bodies within the physical body. I think seven of them, the serial and astral and mental and causal and so on and so forth. 
And uh, it would not be surprising to hear that uh, one of those bodies, uh, the soul body perhaps, uh, or the ethereal body, would be able to leave and travel with others who were able to facilitate it. Oh, yes. Uh, many um, many claim to be able to astrally travel there. And, uh-huh. uh, and may, may, maybe that might... Um, Maybe that might account for it, although she believes that she physically went there. There have been others like uh, George King, the founder of the Aetherius Society, uh-huh. uh, originally from London. And he um, um, he uh, said that he can astrally travel there to v- Venus. Wow. Wow. Well, of course, a lot of people do uh, travel astrally, and they uh, are able to, through practice... Uh, visit different worlds that uh, you know are are not particularly accessible if you're not using your astral body. Oh, oh yes, uh-huh. and uh, well, it's uh, it's rumored that when uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs wrote his series of books about uh, about um, uh, John Carter of Mars, that mm-hmm. uh, uh, well, he has the character uh, tr- traveling there. Um, on some type of astral plane, and uh, and then also uh, he did a whole series of books, of uh, five books to be exact, about uh, about the planet Venus as well. Ah, interesting. <laughs> the plot thickens. <laughs> a lot of information that's in science fiction. Yeah. Um, I have this sneaking suspicion that it was uh, that it was uh, a little more than. Uh, uh, oh yes, than, than yes. fiction because we see so many examples in science fiction where it turns out to be science fact, fact. after all. <laughs> yes, I, I'm I'm specifically referred to like Jules Verne. Mm-hmm. Uh, he got the weight of the rocket to within 200 pounds. That's wow. probably the weight of one astronaut with all the gear and everything. Uh huh. And then he had the rocket going from launching from. Uh, from the state of Florida, uh, in the United States, and and uh, uh, just so many amazing things. Um, uh, Gulliver's Travels has Mars mm-hmm. having two two small moons, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, of course, uh, uh, those moons were later discovered in uh, Phobos and Deimos, mm-hmm. and. Um, so the, these things are, are more than coincidental, I think. I agree with you wholeheartedly. <laughs> so, uh, Miki Miyuki, uh, then, uh, did she... Uh, you, oh, I know what I was going to ask you. Uh, you mentioned Churchill. Uh, what was there about Churchill that was un- unique? Okay, well, this wasn't Winston Churchill. This was oh. another uh, another gentleman who was an archaeologist. Oh, okay. And he was fascinated with the lost continent, uh, lost continents of uh, of Mu, and then subsequently Lemuria. And he wrote a, a very interesting series of, of of books on this subject. And uh, what got me into it was the fact that. Um, that uh, Albert Coe of Philadelphia uh, had an encounter with some Venusians uh, up in up in Canada, uh, right above New- the New York state line when he went on there in the vacation. Mm-hmm. 
in uh, the early 1920s on a fishing trip with with a friend, and he saved a Venusian Venusian's life and huh. became very good friends with this Venusian, and uh, his house served as a, a safe place for the Venusians when they were uh, operating on the East Coast. Wow! And uh, he. He was told by the Venusians that long ago in both Atlantis and Lemuria that uh, settlements were made. There were colonies there, um, and um, uh, they, they, the Venusians, some of them um, uh, interbred with the, the local inhabitants, although they were not su- supposed to, and they, they took sides in a war like a... Uh, similar to the conflict between, uh, like in our Cold War between the U.S. and the Soviet Union, right? And they, right. they, they took sides, and um, this was against the non-interference directive of the Venusian hierarchy. So they had to recall all these rogue elements home, huh. and uh, Albert Coe um, uh, talked about that at different conferences and. Uh, uh, he even wrote uh, wrote a small book about it um, that I got from uh, from a gentleman out there in California named Gabriel Green, uh-huh. and uh, so I published uh, that information uh, uh, in my Venus books as well. Ah, oh, okay. Um, so with Lemuria and Atlantis, of course that. Uh Many people believe, as as do I, that they actually existed, and uh, there are a number of versions of uh, how those uh, two um, were, uh, how they unraveled, (laughs) (laughs) and uh, who they were, and the rest of it. Of course, the Atlanteans allegedly uh, became, uh, were were following uh, principles that were, uh, not just uh, spiritual, but they were becoming more, uh, uh, theoretically, they were using their abilities to do things that were uh, for selfish purposes. Oh, and, yes. Yeah. Yes, and uh, even Edgar Casey, the, the famous sleeping prophet from Hopkinsville, Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, many of his readings deal with um, the lost continents of it. Um, Atlantis and Lemuria and the antediluvian world. Mm-hmm. Uh, does he mention anything about there being quite a few people incarnating uh, onto the planet today uh, for, that had been in Atlantis and Lemuria? Because it seems that this is a time when uh, there are many different uh, ancient civilizations and, and other civilizations and future civilizations that are incarnating uh, to achieve some kind of uh, nexus point uh, in the next period of, of uh, cosmic shifts that are meant to transform Earth. Oh, yes. Well, we're all in the process of cosmic evolution. We're all, uh, we're all infinite beings. We're all sparks of the divine, of, of, the, of the, the infinite creator. And uh, we do go on through many lifetimes, and not just on this planet, but uh, uh, but many others. It's uh, like going up a spiral staircase uh, into the celestial uh, 
realm. So we do learn from uh, we do learn from history, uh, and uh, uh, hopefully we learn from from yeah. history. <laughs> well, yes, of course, history is uh, written by the winners, so, so we don't always get the right version. <laughs> Right, right. So uh, uh, I'm sure that there are many souls that have uh, that have been uh, on Earth during the uh, twelve, thirteen thousand years ago when these conflicts were taking place mm. uh, between Atlant- Atlantis and Lemuria. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, it it has been a very rich experience here on Earth, and we still have so many mysteries about the pyramids and the Great Sphinx, and uh, uh, pyramids all over the planet. Uh, apparently the Russians have done some research on that, and they uh, feel that the pyramids were built to stabilize the Earth's structure when it was going through one of its 26,000-year cycles and crossing over the galactic plane, and things were getting a little shaky. And so the pyramids were designed, apparently, part one reason, was to stabilize the planet Earth so it wouldn't uh, have so many um, <clears throat> fractures and you know earthquakes and volcanoes and so on and so forth. And as indeed, there are pyramids all over the planet, it seems. Oh, yes, and there are many similarities beside the pyramidal shape. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, the um, complex at Chichen Itza in uh-huh. Central America and uh, and Egypt are... are uh, Similarly aligned uh, with the uh, the constellation of Orion, and yes. uh, and uh, also the um, there's a lot to do in both of them with uh, uh, the um, the dog stars, Sirius. Yes, exactly. Um, what civilization do you think is Orion uh, representing? Um. That's a good um, that's a good question. Uh, Orion, um, the three stars in the belt, uh-huh. are uh, supposedly the um, the the point of origin for a very uh, very ancient civilization, but not too much has been um, revealed about that compared yeah. to like Sirius or the Pleiades and some um, some of the other ones. Right. Right. Um, well, another uh, interesting thing that I uh, was reading about uh, the Venusians was that you were you were talking about <clears throat> some of the fifth dimensional Venusians and what they were like and what they uh, you know the, how they communicated and things like that, and it just uh, brought up some interesting uh, correlations between uh, us living in the uh, third and fourth dimensions now. Uh, with many of the new agers, uh, new old agers, uh, believing that we are going to head into the fifth dimension and that we will be crossing through it uh, as we evolve, uh, and of course it's just a step, a stepping stone along the way. But um, if so, there the uh, the attributes of the fifth dimension are quite interesting, are they not? Oh, oh yes, because the the fifth dimension is the uh, the breakoff point between um, uh, between um, the uh, the more the lower, denser, yeah, the uh, denser 
denser realms uh, versus the more ethereal, right. ethereal ones. So the, I, the fifth dimension is actually outside of our t time and space continuum, where the fourth dimension is still physical, but it's just that the inhabitants of worlds in the fourth dimension have been able to transcend time. Right, right. And a um, great deal of them apparently have been messing with uh, Earth and uh, humanity as well from the fourth dimension. Oh yes, uh, but there are there are those who are working to um, to protect the Earth uh, as well to protect uh, our timeline. Wonderful. Uh, as, I, as I understand it, uh, time operates like any other wave, uh -huh. uh, uh, and it's convertible from from a wave, an energy wave, into um, uh, into a, a material wave. Or in, ah. into a, into the material, into matter. Huh. Uh, energy and matter are uh, inter interchangeable, um, and um, the these waves of time, um, composed of tachyon particles, um, they exist at hyperlight speeds, huh. uh, and they they move in octaves, just like any other wave, like a radio wave or so forth. Uh -huh. And um, so you have um, you have uh, in the dimensions um, uh, in the higher in the higher dimensions we're talking about uh, and a civilization or an entire universe uh, that's existing at uh, uh, in one of these in one of these um, one of these higher uh, Octaves. So mm -hmm. we could, um, in order to to um, you know to look at the future um, versus the past, you could you know capture. Um, it would be possible to capture like an octave of uh, an octave of of uh, tachyon wave, and mm -hmm. uh, observe the past as it uh, happened. But the Earth is only a probability because you can't see forward in your own timeline you can only look at the other seven timelines and mm. deduce a probability but huh. so it's not as exact but the where's the past uh, you can actually look at it wow interesting and I'm sure that there are people that have been working on black up projects on the inside for many decades that probably are doing things like that Oh yes, I I believe that there's a type of um, of uh, time tunnel project, mm -hmm. and um, I write about that in these uh, uh, Venus books it, as well as uh, to include theories of time travel, um, time time dilation, and um, all sorts of amazing amazing facts or what I would call astounding science. Mm -hmm. Well, there was one uh, guest a, a while back that Andrew, what was his name? It was, uh, uh, I, I can't think of his name right now. He was a lawyer, and uh, he was in one of those uh, black programs, and apparently it was uh, funded by the Vatican and run by DARPA, and uh, it was all about time travel, and he was able, his handler had him uh, time traveling to various places, mainly to Mars and back, 
And so that kind of thing apparently has been going on. Uh, that would have been 40 or 50 years ago. So, you know, a lot of things have happened uh, that were way ahead of their time, but they were experimenting. And who knows where they are today with the results of those experiments. We do know there's a breakaway civilization that is about 100 or 200 years ahead of us. And uh, it's it's known about... It just isn't directly known because it's uh, <laughs> it's concealed and it's not uh, supposed to be known by us. Oh, uh, would that be Andrew Bassaggio? Yes, yes. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, he was supposed to come to the um, New Mexico uh, UFO convention, uh, Stargate convention, uh-huh. in uh, 2018. Uh, I was one of the speakers there. and. Uh-huh. I was on a panel about time time travel, and uh, uh, he was supposed to be there, but for s- some reason he didn't make it. I was really looking forward oh. to. Uh, I was really looking forward to uh, uh, to to meeting him. Oh but, yeah, well, maybe maybe some uh, some future yeah. <laughs> some future time. Yes, <laughs> maybe well, we'll cross maybe we'll know, cross paths somewhere. He. Uh, he mentioned Project Pegasus, so if anybody wants to do some research on the Internet, it is listed uh, as the project is listed, and there's a Project Pegasus, which is a cartoon, which, of course, uh, that's often done in, in the case of real information. There's some kind of cartoon world with Project Pegasus, and then there's a real Project Pegasus, which he's talking about, which is about time travel and things like that. So... You know, you have to kind of use your imagination and kind of uh, intuit through these things. I have a, a time travel manual, and I oh. uh, I I showed it to uh, to uh, Mr. Filer, George Filer, and Frank Chile when huh. I was out in when I was out in New Jersey. So that really that really blew their mind. Wow. So I, I I got it from a time traveler. Oh my God. And, uh, <laughs> What yeah, is, it's, what, pretty, it's pretty amazing, but I have it in a, I have it in a very secure, um, l- remote location. Good, so nobody can uh, <laughs> access it. Um, what, what kind of, uh, what would be something that would just kind of uh, uh, be a piece of information that would, would uh, enlighten us a bit about time travel. Oh. Uh, that it is um, well. The the fact of the matter is that it, it's possible. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, every everything that exists um, in our dimension uh, has a has a signature. Uh, it has a tachyon signature. Uh-huh. So as um, as below, so above. Uh, so in in the um, in the material universe, uh, we have. Um, uh, we have a a, a a reflection, or maybe we're the reflection. Right. But right. there's a uh, there's a there's a higher a higher being, a higher self to everybody that exists in in other in other dimensions. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, John A. Keel, uh, as you know, he wrote about uh, the super spectrum, about mm-hmm. the universe that we live in. 
Mm-hmm. And even about the, the earth, he said that there's a, he had classified about 14 different kinds of phenomena that um, are associated with the, uh, the appearance of UFOs. And so he said that UFOs were just one, uh, one manifestation of a breakthrough um, between dimensions and possibly a crossing of, uh, of time streams and so forth. So when you see abundance of paranormal phenomena, uh, cryptids, um, uh, bleeding statues, uh, poltergeist mm. uh, activity, mm. um, other kinds of uh, other kinds of mysterious phenomena, he he catalogs all these, and uh, so did George Fawcett of mm. the North Carolina MUFON, originally from Massachusetts. He was a radar operator in the Korean War, and um, he uh, did a lot of research about UFOs. And uh, I interviewed him and traveled up to his home in Lincolnton, North Carolina, when he was still alive. And he shared a lot of that information mm. uh, w- with me. I wrote a, I wrote a three, a huge three-page article, three pages in the uh, Orange. South Carolina Democrat newspaper huh. uh, in 1998 after after interviewing him wow. and he talks about interdimensionality and uh, connections with uh, with other dimensions so that that was one of the chapters in uh, in final countdown rocket to Venus uh, that first chapter uh, it does talk about uh, besides Miyuki um, these whole these whole concepts of um, of um, things more bizarre that was the name of the the, the chapter, and um, I start off with a quote from Kurt Vonnegut from the Sirens of Titan, and it goes like this: A point in space where, upon a person entering it, that person's existence in space time ceases to be linear, becoming discrete. This means that a person that has entered a chronosynclastic infundibulum, he just made that name up for a dimensional portal, exists at multiple points and lines in space-time. For example, such a person could exist at all points in time in one place and also appear at another point for for five minutes. And although he wrote the you know his books in a in a humorous vein. Mm. They do contain a, a, a lot of scientific truth if you um, if you read them closely and um, and uh, uh, do some research into to these areas. So mm-hmm. I do put I do footnote everything in my Venus books because uh, people will say it's astounding and may, maybe they'll say it's a little bit woo woo. Uh, right. If they, if, if they check out these footnotes. They can actually go to scientific journals and right. uh, and uh, reports in in reliable newspapers and uh, fi- find out that uh, these statements are true and that the research they've done is uh, is literally fantastic. Yes, right, absolutely. Uh, if anything, I think that we have just been kind of mind washed into not. Uh, believing and into not looking into uh, things that are paranormal and multidimensional because we 
it said that we are multidimensional beings. And if we can be convinced that we're just one-dimensional, just a physical body with, you know, has uh, is a career or has a job or whatever, then we're living a very small life and just part of the many-dimensional uh, aspects that we contain within us. So I suspect that once... Uh, the scientists are verified that there are more dimensions than 11 or 12, and they're starting to now, that uh, the idea that we are multidimensional in, in parallel worlds and in, this, in other dimensions will become a reality, and people will start thinking on different levels. At least yeah, I hope this, so. <laughs> this is very important because um, uh, we're all... Uh, we're all part of something much big, bigger than ourselves, and mm, yeah. exp expanding our consciousness is the first step into walking into another reality, a higher yes. reality, and a better yes. one. Yes, yes. And would you say, uh, from your own experience, since you've had more than probably most, that in addition to expanding consciousness, that it is very helpful to have an extremely open and malleable mind so that whatever you encounter isn't necessarily shocking or uh, off-putting, shall we say, unless it's absolutely bizarre and, and uh, you know, maybe dangerous, but uh, that most things that you encounter that are benevolent are things that may be so different from our concepts that it would be easy to just uh, shut them out, and that uh, with an open mind we can embrace uh, meeting and being around uh, various forms of other lives that uh, exist and that would like to relate to us. Oh, definitely, and uh, the 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 key to that, in in my, in my opinion, is for individuals to start following their passion. Yes, 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 absolutely. Because that will open the that will open the doors and provide some insight as to just why you're here on the earth at this time. Yeah. Yep. Because uh, the, your yep. your passion is what tells you that and you can't just put it on a shelf and for, forget about it. And if you follow that uh, it might happens to be ufology, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right? Uh, you'll never know where it's going going to uh, to take you. Yeah. So it's like that um, that um, that scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where where um, the protagonist is uh, building a devil's tower out of mashed potatoes, and he <laughs> said, "This means something. This means something." Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> So if you want to find out what it is, what it means, then uh, by all means start with your with your passion first. Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. <clears throat> well, I know that uh, one of my, one of my recent passions is the are the lights that seem to uh, that uh, appear in the night sky that are moving uh, independently of uh, of anything else and that they're silent and they're not stars and they go in any direction and they uh, sometimes they get brighter and very bright and then sometimes they fade out to nothing and sometimes they move in tandem 
And so I had a ufologist come out to uh, validate that there might be something here. And indeed, he did say uh, that he validated that there were extraterrestrial energies here and that uh, most likely that uh, that I'm seeing things that are mm, uh, unexplained or unidentified. And uh, he told me a few other things that I thought were interesting, too. So uh, there could be an interdimensional portal here because uh, the the whole canyon one night was filled with lights and aurora borealis and things coming down and going up and you know at uh, the whole side of the hill both sides were covered with people and they had little fires going and they were just uh, ooing and aahing <laughs> this, this strange <laughs> spectacle i wasn't here but i've heard about it oh well oh yes um uh, the um it's funny about uh, UFO sightings because, you know, most people when they're uh, when they're driving and so forth, that uh, they're they're just paying attention to the road. They're not really looking up. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and then as we go about our our daily lives, we're not really paying too much a, uh, too much attention to what's going on in the sky but people who do that for a living um, astronomers and uh, airline pilots and so forth they actually report the um, they're the ones who report the most UFOs but um, Mm -hmm. I would say that um, the space people our brothers and sisters from other planets are trying to um, to to get our attention when Mm -hmm. we when when we go out looking for them usually we'll um, We'll we'll be pretty lucky and and um, most most of the time mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. get a glimpse of their spacecraft. This summer, um, I'm going to be up at Mount Shasta oh. uh, again. Um, it'll be on uh, August the uh, 29th through the 31st. And um, if people want to come, they can uh, contact thepromisereveal.com. And uh, um, get a ticket. The last time uh, was 2018. I was up there with um, Tatiana Irvin, George Filer, um, Frank Chile, Omnek Onek. Uh, Omnek Onek will be back there at this uh, at this one as well. And Louis Martens, huh. a contactee from Bolivia, and he will be there uh, as as well. Now, uh, who do you so contact? How do you find out about that? Um, yes, just go to um, just go to thepromisereveal.com. Okay. And um, Rob Potter is the one who's sponsoring it. We're going to have a sky watch out there, like we did uh, we did the last time. And um, yeah, I know yeah. Rob. I've been to some of his events. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should Years be pretty ago. good. Well, I'll be looking for. I hope I get to. Uh, I hope I get to meet you up there. Maybe we could even do a live broadcast from there. Yes, we could. I've done it before. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So yeah, that sounds like fun. I think uh, people should look into that. I'm going to look into it myself. And you never know what you're going to find. Uh, sometimes it's you're going to look for one thing. 
and thing, other things come to uh, roll into your per- horizon, your peripheral view, that you didn't expect. And it's, oh, yes. Uh, quite exactly. amazing how things uh, unfold. That's right, Lance, and we never know who might be... Uh, uh, who might be visiting as well. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, now there's um, something that I wanted, that I, I was brought to my attention, and I wanted to save a little time uh, for you to talk about it, because I thought it might shed some light on something that affected BBS radio, for one thing, because BBS radio used to be in Paradise, California, and uh, burned down in the fires, unfortunately. But uh, the uh, owners of BBS were committed to getting restarted and had a friend uh, go fund with a GoFundMe uh, that helped with getting equipment, and they got back on their feet, or otherwise we wouldn't be having this conversation. But what I wanted to mention was that in your book three, uh, the final book of the trilogy, Chapter 5 is called Paradise, California. That's the name, and this was written long before any of the fires or anything else. And apparently, Paradise was quite a busy place (laughs) on many levels. Can you uh, go into some of that, uh, maybe for the rest of the show, to talk about what Paradise was all about? And it might shed some light on why it was destroyed. Uh, yes, um, Paradise uh, is uh, is a very interesting city because it actually um, uh, was the home of the very first uh, flying saucer club mm-hmm. in in the United States, and there, there's a whole history of uh, UFO flaps and flying saucer activity uh, over Paradise that uh, I discovered in the in the um, in the files of uh, of the interplanetary spacecraft group mm. uh, of Pal and Dixie Garrett, uh, as well as uh, as the uh, uh, the newspaper offices there, mm. wow. and uh, published this in the uh, in uh, Cosmic Ray's excellent uh, Venus Adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the people that came to um, to visit there was Lee Crandall, who wrote, uh, was a chiropractor from uh, Los Angeles, who wrote *The Venusians* and *Return uh, of the Venusians* in nineteen um, in the uh, in the early nineteen fifties, nineteen fifty five, and um, uh, at that time, well, Paradise wasn't incorporated until um, I think nineteen fifty nine, and it didn't have. Uh, much of a population, maybe about 200 people at that time. It was still unincorporated. Mm-hmm. And as you know, to um, to get up there from, from from Chico, the only way up there is through that that um, that uh, that mountainside. So you can imagine it before it was paved or anything, trying to get up there. But um, this chiropractor. Uh, who met the Venusians and everything made his way up there, and and uh, they had people from all over California come there, and uh, m- maybe from some other parts as well, um, to to hear him do his um, his presentation. 
And um, oh, here it is with the. Uh, um, it wasn't even counted by the Census Bureau until 1960 when it stood at 8,268 people. Hmm. So when I went there um, at the invitation of, um, of uh, Paradise um, Friends of the Library there um, to do my presentation on UFOs in the history of pa Paradise, um, it was uh, stood around... 26,000 it was the, mm. was the, the the population then but um, um, here's some uh, important information revealed about Paradise California it was the home of the first flying saucer club organized in the United States uh, Pal and Dixie Garrett were uh, aficionados and followers of a contact an early contactee uh, named Daniel Fry, and uh, he was an aerospace contractor out at White Sands mm. in New Mexico, and he fl he flew in a remote-controlled saucer from White Sands Proving Grounds to New York City and back in th in in 30 minutes. Wow! And then in my <laughs> Venus book, I also publish photos uh, from him of the people that he worked for and the Falcon missile. Which was both a, uh, a, a heat-seeking and radar-guided uh, uh, anti-aircraft missile, huh. and um, so uh, uh, he he formed a group called uh, Understanding, and uh, and then uh, Pal and Dixie were, uh, were it was a metaphysical group, and then Pal and Dixie were fascinated with the. With the physical aspects of flying saucers and the and and the Venusians, so they would lead parties all over uh, California, northern and southern California, to sky watches and organizing um, UFO activities, and they formed the uh, the interplanetary spacecraft group, huh. which was head, headquartered on their home in Kib Kibler um, Kibler Avenue. But um, the um, the membership of the the interplanetary spacecraft um, group was obsessed with contacting Venusians because both Pal and Dixie um, communicated with some Venusians at the um, at George Van Tassel's uh, first interplanetary spacecraft convention on uh, the, the night of April fourth and throughout uh, April fifth of uh, 1954 huh. and then uh, the memberships uh, as I had mentioned conducted sky watches throughout California specifically looking for Venusian spacecraft so throughout this chapter I cover many of the sightings and the events that took place where they did see these uh, um, spacecraft they saw a fleet of 19 of them um, over the uh, uh, over the Arroyo there, and um, they published a lot of the results of their investigations with um, um, with uh, the Nexus magazine of Gray Barker, um, as well as the um, the Flying Saucer News. That's one of September 1955. 
Mm. And well, almost every issue had a report about what was going on in paradise and also with the Etheria Society. Uh, they exchange information and reports with the Etheria Society uh, in London, England, and they they also had um, later established uh, a North American headquarters in um, uh, in Los Angeles. So what happened is uh, up up until September 1955, the uh, the Garretts were um, they were um, uh, the co-presidents of the group, and then in um, and holding the meetings in their backyard in the patio on the Kibler Avenue. But then in um, in August of yeah August of 1955. Then the uh, headquarters moved to um, uh, 307 Pearson Road in Paradise with uh, uh, Evan Edwards, uh, uh, became the director of the, uh, of the group. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, just so many fascinating things. And I even have more information that uh, was too much to put in that book, but I'll save it for a a future one. I did write a little bit about it in an article um, on Lon Strickler's site called um, uh, uh, His Phantoms and Monsters.com, but it was uh, Venusian Spaceships uh, Are Landing. And I think it was in that one I talk about um, the appearance of um, a flying saucer to this to these prospectors that would show up uh, there every month at the uh, in the uh, the little river down in the ravine. Mm. Uh, it was on the thirtieth of June of every month at the same time, and uh, they would see this saucer, and this um, this uh, this man would come out in a jumpsuit, kind of a like a black jumpsuit, and he would uh, take a pail. And get some water, and bring it back into the saucer, and oh. it kind of looked like a like a television image, but it was uh, um, some kind of time distortion. Oh, and um, so they reported it to the Civilian Saucer Intelligence in New York, which was a precursor of Donald E. Kehoe's NICAP. Uh, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. They sent an investigator uh, out there to uh, investigate it, and I, I published the result of their uh, of their report. So, so many amazing things out there, and it's just such a shame that that uh, that uh, what had happened there with the the fires and everything. But I was so glad that I was able to retrieve this information before it was lost forever. Right, right. Can you um, uh, conceive of any reason why there would be uh, some kind of uh, desire to uh, uh, to destroy any kind of evidence that was going on in Paradise, California? I mean, was there something going on there, or were there beings there that uh, the powers that be may not have wanted to uh, be exposed to uh, to us. 
Um, yes, there were many contactees that were living there. Mm-hmm. And um, um, maybe you may have been aware of s- some of them. And um, they did have a lot of... Um, they were privy to a lot of information from mm. uh, from our from our extraterrestrial friends. Ah, well, that uh, would make sense, uh, certainly. And uh, the uh, <clears throat> the fires themselves, I I looked at the pictures, and they can't hide the way that those pictures are taken because they're simply photographing uh, the results of the fire after the fact, and. Um, it looked remarkably similar to uh, other operations that I've seen because the buildings were destroyed to the ground, kind of similar to 911, but the vegetation around them was intact and had not been touched. So it was a fire that literally burned only the homes to the ground, and it may be a whole uh, subdivision or tract on both sides of the street that was burned down to the ground. and and yet the vegetation right outside in their backyards was all intact, nothing was burned, nothing was spoiled. And so uh, it leads one to think that there was some kind of intentional uh, use of advanced weaponry, which they have, uh, they meaning the powers that uh, use it on our planet, and uh, they seem to be able to uh, do things that are quite destructive, uh, and then of course PG&E got blamed for a lot of different things, and they might have been involved with the uh, reverse-engineered uh, weaponry. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me, but um, they also may not have known anything about it. They may just be covering something that their people above them are. Uh, told them to be quiet and just uh, shut up and do your job and don't say anything. So it we is, don't really know. Yes, it is quite mysterious. I, in, in wartime, though, when buildings are destroyed, or uh, uh, you, you find that the usually the devastation extends through the the whole city as collateral damage. It, it, it looks like a moonscape yeah, after. Yeah. Uh, after it's over, so there shouldn't have been uh, uh, really there shouldn't have been anything standing if if it was uh, the the um, PG and E and if uh, you know gas lines caught on fire or something uh, uh, the whole the whole area should have been uh, right burnt. right and uh, there are enough pictures if anybody wants to go online and and just uh, type in the Paradise California fire. If you scroll through all the pictures, sooner or later you get to the ones that show you the uh, remnants of uh, houses that have burned to the ground and stopped right at the base of the house. And the, you, all you see are the lots. Uh, there might have been a tract of houses on one side and down the other side with a road in the middle. And that was all that was there to begin with. It was just a, you know, a two sets of houses and when the fire was done there was nothing standing as far as houses go but all of the uh, foliage and the trees and everything else around those houses uh, was intact and nothing else burned except the houses so 
it almost looks, well, it does look as if it was an intentional uh, removal of these houses to get people out for some reason that we don't yet know. And we may never know. I mean, look at 911. We're still, uh, even though there's a lot of information that's come out about it, we are still puzzling over many aspects of the uh, of that event, um, and probably will because they the <clears throat> the powers that do this don't ever do anything for one reason. It's always a multitude of different reasons, and uh, you can't just say it was done because of X, Y, and Z. It's a through Z, and then some. <laughs> so, anyway, um, we're just about at the end of the show. I just wanted to ask you if you had any, um, you know, further things to share with us uh, before you go, and teasers perhaps for our next show, which will be whenever you want to come back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I I did some research in uh, in Paradise with Chrisana Duran of the Time Star, uh-huh. and um, she. She uh, believes that, uh, as with uh, Mount Shasta, with an underground extraterrestrial complex called Talos, the city oh. of Talos, oh. uh, that there is something underground uh-huh. uh, pertaining to the extraterrestrial presence on on Earth. Uh, and it may, have some, it may even have some connection with Mount Shasta because it's... Um, you know, on a straight line up there, following the you know the ridge line of yeah. the Sierra. Wow. Well, I encourage you to continue to find out more and what you can. And uh, of course, I, I thank you for coming back and sharing all of this wonderful information with us about the Venusians. I I'm getting excited about them actually. <laughs> well, and, thank um, you, Lance. I'm I, I'm so glad to be able to share this information and. Uh, if people want to know more, just um, go on to Amazon and type in Keller Venus in the in the search search box, and it'll take you right to the uh, my author page and uh, all my Venus books. And they're wonderful books. I mean, they're just uh, chock full of stories and interesting things you can't find anywhere else. So. Um, <laughs> I wish you the best, and uh, perhaps I'll see you on August 29th, thepromisedrevealed.com, with Rob Potter and you and several others. And uh, uh, I look forward to having you on again in the near future. Oh, thank you, Lance. A pleasure, and um, uh, God's richest blessings to you and all all of your uh, listeners. Uh, thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon, and good night, everybody.